This is Marching In, a brand new Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music is from the immensely talented Lawrence Norton. We would really appreciate a follow on Spotify and on Twitter, where you can find us at Marching In Pod. Wonderful. Okay, we are delighted to be joined by Chief Sports Writer at the Daily Telegraph, Jeremy Wilson. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolute delight to have you with us. Um, Yeah, so Jeremy's been with the Daily Telegraph since 2007. Previous to that, and I guess why we've got him on, is that he wrote a book about Saints cult heroes and yeah did some great work with the the Daily Echo and beyond in terms of his local journalism. Jeremy it makes sense to, to start there uh, probably feels like many moons ago for you now but you you covered Saints I guess it was early noughties is that right? Yeah it was yeah I, I start my first newspaper was the, Salis- the newspaper in Salisbury so I didn't um, we had a tiny bit of sort of odd things that would cover crossover with Saints. Nick Holmes was obviously big saints big saints man at the time but yeah i joined this the southampton echo in 2003 um 2002 sorry and i was there till 2005 so i was lucky that when i came i didn't actually come to replace graham highly who's probably known to quite a lot of saints fans because he was the long time southampton reporter um, but when I came across, it happened to be where he had just moved to the club. He was doing the, the website at the club. And so myself and Adam Leach kind of took on covering Saints at that point. And we, we, we were lucky, really, that we happened to come at a point when um, obviously the, the most important sports organisation and sports story for the paper, that there was an opportunity to cover it. So we, we went to all the games home and away for those three years. Um, and then after that, um, although I went... Uh, moved to sort of freelance and as you said I did a book about some of the former Saints players and worked for some national papers Guardian before the Telegraph but because of my sort of um, you know I'm a Southampton fan I'm from Hampshire anyway and because of those sort of links I've kind of always tried to stay in touch with the club and carried on um, covering it and certainly that period even after I left the Echo which was the period when um Clive Woodward and Harry Redknapp and there was all sort of Rupert Lowe and changes of chairman and ownership I was still quite day-to-day involved then as well but the the when I first started it was um Gordon Strachan was the manager um it was 2002 so it was the year before the FA Cup the run to the FA Cup final it was uh Gordon Strachan and Rupert Lowe and it was quite a it was quite an awakening to sort of covering Premier League football because (laughs) Um, in Salisbury, we would, I, I, although I was doing news reporting because I like sport, I would sometimes go to the Salisbury games and they'd let you come on the team bus and it was all quite, you know, fairly informal, but obviously they took, took it seriously at their level, but, it, but you had that slight more informal relationship. And, um, 
Gordon Strachan, who I really liked, and I've still, and I still, if I bump into him, we, he, 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 he you know, he, he does remember, you know, we were, and uh, actually, I sort of helped him with something with the book he did, and um, so we've got, we've sort of had a, you know, a decent relationship going forward. But he was, it was quite, as I say, it was quite an awakening because he had a very, as, as, as your uh, listeners would probably imagine any Saints fan, he had a very, very direct style with, with people. And if you didn't like something you'd done or something you'd written or some, or even if, you know, I think it was even just to keep you on your toes as well. And I think it was the same with the players. You <laughs> definitely got, so you get a phone call, you'd get, you could just literally get shouted at, you know, every so often about something. It was quite an old sort of maybe maybe a slightly old school maybe he'd he'd come up and been managed by Alex Ferguson at Aberdeen and Manchester United and he and it, it was that kind of that kind of way and it was it you know he, there was a definite fear factor there although he was as I say I really like him he's a really genuine person it was quite um a baptism of fire and Rupert Lowe as well was pretty pretty um you know he could he could he could sort of dish it out as well and we used to get banned quite often from the training ground and when I look back they were quite minor they were quite minor things really come on Jim what did you do <laughs> they were quite minor disagree I mean it, th- there was a bit of an issue with the that, that went above our heads to some degree with with some of the like um the, I think at the time uh the editor was trying to just be a bit more ask questions ask questions a bit more of the club maybe a slightly less because there's always this sort of friction with local newspapers of sort of how cosy you are and how but when I look back it was pretty you know I remember they didn't like us doing sort of stories on player contracts I remember Rupert saying to me you should you know that's personal and when I think about it really that's not terribly realistic really to you know on his part and um you know, maybe we overstepped the mark here and there. I don't think so. I mean, it really wasn't, when I think about it, it really wasn't exactly terrible stuff that we did. I mean, the um, Gordon Strachan got very annoyed one time when uh, Saints played West Ham and the te- he was friends with Rod Stewart, the singer, and the mm-hmm. team had trained at his house because uh, he had a football pitch. He's a massive Scotland fan, Rod Stewart, had a football pitch in his back garden. And they'd trained there before the game and um, they turned up late for the game. Now, they turned up late for the game because of traffic. It wasn't because, but they'd been training at Rod Stewart's house. And I think that we, I remember I wrote something like, you know, Saints got a 2-2 draw, you know, after a busy afternoon training at Rod Stewart. I think the, the sub-editor inserted the adjective busy. So it, I just said after an afternoon training at Rod Stewart's house and, and the word busy um, and they put the headline rock and roll on saints or something like that. And anyway, Gordon Strachan took real, because he thought it was an, a, a slight on the professionalism of, of, because he was like, Rod Stewart wasn't even there. We just used the facility and it blew up into this huge thing because he felt the tone of it kind of made him look unprofessional. Like they'd been basically having a party at Rod Stewart's house. And we didn't say that. <laughs> I remember that. And that was like, I think we were, I think we were sort of banned from the, the training ground for about four weeks because Oh my God. That, you know? And he was pretty I think there was because Adam, I, I was obviously uh in my sort of mid-20s, uh late late to mid-20s. Adam was younger than that. And um I think there was a bit of an intimidation factor going on as well with us, if I look back on it. 
but actually everybody was it, it, it's kind of like almost that thing of being told off by your teacher really at that point and then you go back and um it was you know it was fine and I, I think our coverage probably was a little bit more spiky than it had been and um certainly you know when Gordon left that was quite a difficult period with Paul Sturrock and everything mm. coming in um but it was you know it was all it was all fine really it wasn't they're, they're quite sort of you know the senior players used to because it was sort of Lindic Varm and Marsden were kind of the senior players and they used to sort of see them almost laughing to themselves if there was a sort of issue because they'd you know they probably thought well at least we're not getting at least we're not getting the stick today <laughs> that kind of thing but the, the funny thing was I, I kind of after the, at that point I thought you know is, is this how it is sort of thing you know is you know you'd almost be, it was quite sort of they could be quite volatile and quite like and actually it's not it's not really like that at all you know I've sort of discovered really most of it most football clubs have a kind of press office there's this sort of buffer and you know, you quite often, do, you know, especially with, I was covering Arsenal a lot with Arsene Wenger mm. and a journalist. And it was just sort of, or if he did, it was sort of all done via the press office, but not, not at all confrontational. That was very much Gordon Strachan's sort of style. So it was good. And it was good. And it was good time football wise as well, you know, because obviously the team, I think, finished from memory eighth, eighth and reached the cup final. Mm. Uh, and he, he, when looking back, he did a really good job with that team because it wasn't really a team of, you know, there was some, you know, Bridge was obviously a, probably a top top player at that time and probably played his best football at Saints, probably wasn't as good when he moved on. And um, like BT got quite, James BT got quite a few goals. But then when you go through the rest of the squad, he, he got a lot out of that, you know, mm-hmm. players like Telfer, Ormerod, Svensson, Delap, Oakley, uh, I'm just trying to think through the team. You know, he got a lot out of that. Those players and Marsden—they weren't, you know, they were a pretty good, you know, decent fit team. But they weren't, you know, they, they probably weren't a team that with, with the wrong manager. They with the wrong manager, they were a team that could be in trouble quite easily. And he actually got them into the top half and got to the FA Cup final. So it was a really good, really good time to um, to do it. You know, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. I can't think that we did anything sort of journalistically. I'm trying to trying to think. I mean, that was just a bit silly. That thing with the with the training grab with the Rod Stewart and the. I, I can't think there was anything. There was there was a bit of probably an overlying tension with with Rupert and because the fans were starting to get quite critical with him. And then w- when it really did blow up was over when Gordon Strachan was leaving and over whether Glenn Hoddle would come in and that was because that was very divisive for the fans and then it and and, and actually that a bit was the beginning of the end for, for Rupert though because he, he that that whole Hoddle handling it, it, it created quite a lot of friction in the board and also with the supporters so that that was a kind of more serious falling out I suppose that with, uh, with the, the fallings out with Gordon Strachan weren't really they were just sort of silly little football things really they they didn't really yeah. last that long so yeah it was great it was great fun and a brilliant experience to to do yeah probably all too sanitized these days hey Jeremy RE managers you know probably not calling up the local press office of a of a local rag I think one of Gordon Strachan's defining, I mean, one of his defining characteristics was being a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit catty post-match. The famous quote of him, I think someone said, have you got, you know, anything to worry about with the upcoming match? And he said, he's got a yogurt that's going out of date. And 
I was going to attempt to do a Scottish accent. I'm not, um, but he, it was in only a way that Gordon Strachan could. Uh, how funny the Rod Stewart thing. I was listening to a podcast, really good podcast called Not the Top 20 Pod, and they had Jed Wallace on, who is a Millwall player. And don't know if you remember a player. He was came through the Arsenal youth ranks called Benikafobi. And Jed Wallace on this podcast says, oh, I've got a funny story about Benikafobi. He was around Rod Stewart's house last night. Um, so players, for some reason, may still be going to, uh, to use Rod Stewart's <laughs> facilities. Who knows, to this, to this day. Apparently he had a full size. He's a massive fan. And obviously Gordon Strachan knew him back from the sort of Tartan Army Scotland days. And I don't know what the roulette, but he, he actually, he was very much, it's a practical thing. It's near West, it was near West Ham's ground or whatever. Right. But you've just reminded me about that yogurt. That was, that was, that was another point of um, constant friction with the paper because um, Delgado was the Agustin Delgado, yeah. the Ecuador, Ecuadorian striker. Record signing. And, you know, it was very much Rupert Lowe's signing or certainly every manager, every manager certainly wanted you to know that it was that way. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and it had cost three and a bit million, which in, was Saints. I'm pretty sure it was Saints record signing yeah. or that was at that point. And um, and obviously he barely played a game because he had this knee injury and he kept going missing. He kept not <laughs> training or not turning, not not arriving back from. And so we and um, the editor did a sort of wanted poster of Delgado once on the back page of the newspaper. It was kind of like, have you seen this man? You know, in a picture of Delgado and that. <laughs> So there, there was there was that one as well. That was, uh, I mean, t- to be fair, stuff like that, someone like the manager, they don't care about stuff, you know, if, if it wasn't mm-hmm. it came in before. So that, that wouldn't have bothered Strachan too much because it's kind of like not really his his fault. But that 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 was a very sensitive point at that stage for the for the club that that signing. Yeah, yeah. I think actually these are kind of my the years that I really remember as a kid growing up, that's kind of my age. I've got three brothers all obsessed with football, but that era of Saints was kind of the era for me and properly getting into it. Interesting, you mentioned Brett Ormerod. I think he had a half season where he actually looked at okay. And I was basically insistent. I wanted a shirt with Brett Ormerod on the back. And like thinking of you know, no, no disrespect to Ormerod, but how limited a footballer, you know, he probably was at that level. But I, I'm glad I didn't uh, get Brett Ormerod 36 on the back. But yeah, Strachan definitely got a lot out of a lot out of that that team. Were you were you at the Echo when when Redknapp t- took over and I guess the the relegation was? Were you still covering the club at that time? Yeah, I I can't remember the precise. I left in 2005, so I think it was maybe the season it was i think it was just as yeah, yeah. It was just the season rednap came in and then got relegated but then i sort of as i say because i went freelance and i was trying to sort of bridge into national newspapers i was getting asked to do quite a lot of stories about because there was quite a lot of national interest at that point in rednap and then obviously clive woodward came in so i was still very much um, going to the games, press conferences, and sort of speaking to people quite regularly about what was going on there. So that was, that was, and and you know, how, it was very interesting. Harry Redknapp was very interesting to, you know, to cover as well. You know, we we we, I, I remember, yeah, he 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 had a, he, I mean, a bit like Strachan, really, very sort of accessible in some respects, like quite an open door, sort of very. Um, 
I don't know quite what the word is, but, but you know, you'd have ran, random people would turn up at the training ground to see Redknapp, who he might have invited to, you know, a fan or stuff like that. Very sort of like off, or you know, very kind of <laughs> in how he in how he was, and he could, you know, he could it could be on a bad day, but if he was on a good day, he was really, um, you know, really charismatic and and sort of funny, and 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 there obviously was this sort of underlying tension with um with between him and Rupert though I think really but he I don't think the I don't think there was much of an issue with, uh, I think Redknapp was quite pragmatic about Woodward he, I don't think he really minded him in being there that much I don't think he felt particularly threatened with him I think it was probably more because at the time he got in Dennis Wise and Dave Bassett to help with the coaching as well so it was quite a it was quite a sort of blend of characters <laughs> ragtag bunch yeah and Rupert and uh Rupert and then Rupert Lowe had appointed this Simon Clifford who was this skills coach who was the mm. kind of Clive Wood, new Clive Woodward and he he kind of had this idea that footballers needed to train harder and needed to come back in the afternoon and um and sort of based it on Brazilian soccer schools and, and got and going to Brazil as well and he had some good good ideas but obviously the personality clash of someone who hadn't didn't have a sort of football steeped in football type background mm. like you know Redknapp, Dennis Wise, Dave Bassett that was kind of another thing into the mix so it was quite a it was just a really you know and it obviously didn't you know it didn't didn't really work in the end and uh you know and uh, you know it, it, it was it was a sort of but it but it but from a journalist's point of view it was a quite a it was good because there was a lot going on and there was interest, loads of interesting personalities, you know, pro- probably wasn't, it would have been interesting if Rupert had just sort of, because he obviously thought that Clive Woodward had loads to offer and you, you just sort of think it would have been really, you might as well have just gone the whole hog and just put made him manager when Redknapp left and just seen what had <laughs> happened, you know, it would have been quite, um, it would have been really interesting. It was a bit, they, they kind of had the, they had the idea, but never quite, gave him the power never quite followed through with it and it was almost like if you're gonna do it if you think if you think he can if you think it can be transferred then let's try it and see what happens I mean I don't I don't know how it would have worked out because I don't know whether football was in football fans and players you know I don't know whether it would have been quite ready for it it'd have had to have started off well for it to to have to have worked I think <laughs> yeah almost dare I say, ahead of our time on that front in that you see, I think, a lot more crossover in terms of yeah, methods that have been applied in other sports, specifically within the analytics community now coming into to football. Um, but yeah, it, it did seem like it was quite, um, I don't know, something that could easily be poked fun at back then when we had Woodward. And I think actually The Athletic maybe ran a piece relatively recently detailing some of the, the stuff that went on around that time. Um, but yeah, it was a very interesting, interesting period. Um, Jeremy, remaining with Saints, I know you, you mentioned you've been to most games this season because I want to cover a few other topics with you as well, including I know you've done work on the dementia crisis and in football and beyond. But yeah, if we remain with Saints right now, how do you how do you feel we are as a, as a club and, and where we're heading? And I think you know, the point on where we're heading, I don't know how closely you're, you're kind of following the, the news, obviously, on the, the big story of the week in terms of Newcastle's takeover from, from the PIF. Saints are up for sale. 
um, you're, you're still kind of yeah loosely connected to the club. Like, wh- where do you see us now as a team, and and maybe where we're where we're going? Um, I th- it does feel like the ownership situation is like a something that's hanging over the club, and it do, you know it, do, it seems pretty clear that there's not going to be um, fresh investment. And I think whilst that's the situation, it's uh, I, I personally think unless you really do an exceptional job and you really run the club really really well it's very hard I, for me it's hard I, I find it hard to say that there's seasons where we stay up and remain relatively okay in the Premier League is a pretty good season in my book and I know that's mm-hmm. I know most fans will probably say that's a bit negative and a bit like lacking in kind of ambition or whatever fit for, for a football club but I just I just think that um I, I just think whilst there's not that investment and whilst there there was obviously some loans that had come from the um leave air ownership that that i'm not exactly clear on what's still being paid back and what still needs to what what does and doesn't need to be back paid back i'd need to double check on that but i just feel like the overall financial position at the moment i think to remain in the premier league is a pretty good pretty good season and then obviously if you if the ownership changes then that that sort of um, outlook could change as well. But I think I think it's possible where, when you're running on a kind of self-sustaining where you're sort of just spending what you earn. I think it is possible for a club like Saints to do well for a few seasons and to, as, as happened you know, under Koeman and Pochettino, if you really get get some signings well, the, the, everything really goes well. But I think it's so hard to sustain that because... If you even if you get four or five really good signings that come off, where you're signing sort of slightly younger players, you know, or or, or people and or, or or developing players from within, like like we've had with you know list quite a lot of players that have come through. That if everybody mm. still at the club now, we'd be sort of doing brilliant. Um, but you're not going to keep. It's very difficult to keep them in the in the longer term. So. I just think at the moment, if we can kind of, if, if Southampton can hold their ground, they're doing quite well, really, at the moment. And I don't you know, and I know that there'll be probably, uh, as there always is there, and, and especially at the moment without having won a league game, there'll be sort of questions about um, Hassan Hutel and and the board. But I, I, I kind of feel like the transfer is a difficult situation with Ings. It's a difficult it's slightly worrying to me. It was slightly worrying that as Ings, I think, was a hard situation to avoid. But then the fact that Vestergaard and Bertrand both, um, you know, apparently were were wanting to, you know, seemed seemed that they wanted to to leave. That's slightly mm. worrying that when you've got three or four players or three players that have that that, that are looking to go, because it's not like they were. I suppose you could say they've they you know less Leicester are obviously in a better position at the moment than us but it was not like there was an um, amazing it wasn't sort of Manchester United Manchester City coming in for those players and a few years ago you would have thought we'd probably keep those sort of players unless you know it, that's you know I'm thinking of that summer when Shaw and Chambers and people like that went it was it tended to be to Champions League clubs so you kind of look at it and think it's it, we've slipped back from there but it, I sort of thought in the transfer window with what 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 happened that they did more or less as well as they could with the, the, the things. I think it's I think Ings is just such a massive loss because it's just 
so hard to guarantee to get a, a striker that's going to get 10 to 15 goals in the Premier League. That that It just it doesn't sound that many. There isn't that many that get 10 to <laughs> above 10 goals each season. And you know, if you get near 20, you've done really well. And I, I just think, I don't think Armstrong was a bad signing, but I just think to expect that to work is is a hard, hard, you know, and he may have a better season next season or he might come start scoring, but it's just, that's just a big loss because there isn't many players of that quality. It's very hard to 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 replace. You you do you sometimes happens with Pet when we got Pele or Mane. You know you do you do sometimes get players and it comes off, but it's it's difficult. It's not going to come off every time. And I, I think overall, um, I think Hassan Hutu is a good is a good coach, and I feel like he gets. Obviously, there's going to be and and people watch more of the games than me and have maybe a bit of you know, better standpoint on on it than me. But my my impression from the games I see him from sort of going and see and I've interviewed him a few times, and the players. I th- I think he's. A, I think I I would be. I, I when when Puel and Pellegrino were the manager, I did I did sort of think. Well, if you get the right, or even Marquis, if you get the right replacement, we could be better. I thought we probably chances are there's a good chance. Yeah. I don't feel. I feel like if if we lost Hasenhutl. I'd feel we're more likely to go down than up. I, I just feel like he's, I think it'd be difficult to get a better manager, coach. And I think obviously there's, he's not done everything perfectly, but I think by and large, I think he gets quite a lot out of a fairly limited squad. They obviously, he obviously plays this sort of high pressing and it's the risk of them being tired towards the end of a season, which I think happened last season with the knock-on of the, of the sort of project restart, but I think I think overall I think they're doing a pretty good job within the limitations of the of the ownership. I think that's the key sort of restriction. Um, obviously, the Wolves game was a big disappointment because that's that's you know you can sort of accept the the difficult run of games and not getting a win there or a draw there. But overall, I sort of. I, I'm not sure there's a, a great deal that could change that would really um, alter everything, with, with, unless the ownership situation evolves. So it's a slightly long, long, long answer to say that I think, yeah. And I also, obviously, Hassan Hutu's got a long contract, and it would to, to to make any sort of change there would cost a lot of money. I don't, you know, I think that would be a factor in if anybody wanted to make a change. But I, don't, I just genuinely don't think that's on the cards at the moment. I think. And I think, and I and I agree with it that that uh, on balance, I think he's been a massive asset to 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 the club. And I I, I don't I don't see that I, I don't see that. Obviously, you can get you can do very well and get 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 a, a change, and it can work really well. But I think on balance, I, I would be more fearful that that we would get relegated um, in this, this year or next, and than, than less if we if we sort of changed at the moment. Yeah. That was a, I mean, Jeremy said a, a, a long answer, but I think a very on point one in terms of how probably I see the situation and, and and where many Saints fans do. I think we covered on our last podcast a bit around the kind of Ralph in or Ralph out debate. And ultimately I was left with the same answer that where we are now, it would be very difficult to replace someone of a better coaching ability than, than Hassan Hussle. And also... You touched on this at the start of your answer around we're, we're running kind of a sustainable model financially in terms of really whatever players we sign, we need to 
um, I guess, have, have sold the funds to, to fund that in the first place. It's really bloody hard to, to get every transfer decision right, but also a managerial decision. They're, they're not easy to get, get right. And, you know, even in the period that we were kind of coming out of one or two very good managerial di- appointments, we had the disappointments of maybe, you know, the likes of Pellegrino, Puel even, who probably did a better job now looking back than some Saints fans um, yeah, appreciated at the time. To put you on the spot for a prediction on on where we're gonna gonna finish if you if you had to now what are you saying i think i do think we'll probably stay up i did i did but i i think it is going to be a, uh it is going to be a, I, I think part of it we were a bit unlucky with the way the fixtures fell because i think we we're always strong with the way i think hassan hutel coaches i thought we were really, looked really good in the games i saw early in the season and uh, and it's a shame that we had the opposition perhaps that we did have in some of those games um i think we'll end up sort of 16th 15th 17th 14th you know hopefully not 18th but i think it, it <laughs> i think it's that I, i've just i find it hard to see just just really i think the rest of the team's okay but i just think if we is it's the goals that is going to make it hard to 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 avoid a sort of difficult um difficult season is just if if one of those um attacking players can just get on a bit of a run then that could 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 obviously make all the difference um but yeah that's that's how i see it i think it will be a bit of a battle but i have i have i I kind of take take faith from you know most of the seasons that because what's hassan tutu on now is this is is he coming up to three years in the job I think this is his third full season. So yeah, he's done two full seasons and then a half season previous. So every, and every you know came in with a crisis, and every season's had a point where we've we've been in quite a bit of we felt like we could be in trouble, and it, and I think he's always sort of managed to um, reset during a season and and go on a good run at some point, and so you just have to hope that that can happen again. I, it's a shame the way because I think we might have had a start like we did last season, had the fixtures been. Hmm. maybe not quite as good but I thought we were we looked really sharp in the first month but I just feel like a bit worried that their Wolves the, the sort of combination of the Wolves game and the Ward-Prowse injury could has, has sort of knocked the, knocked the stuffing a little bit out of us where we had done okay the first sort of four or five weeks so that's a slight that's a worry really yeah yeah no you're right I think someone I think I saw somewhere that if you look at the seven equivalent fixtures that we had last season, we didn't win any of them either. <laughs> so, you know, not sure if that is a sort of damning uh, yeah, situation in, in itself, um, given how few games we've won across both um, both seasons, at least in this calendar year. But yeah, I think you're right. The fixtures didn't really go for us. And I think actually performance-wise, we'd probably perform better than many would have expected in some of those games. You know, not many people go to the Etihad and keep a clean sheet. Um, you know, or, or hold West Ham and, and, and United as well. So, yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of aligned with you on that. You touch on quite an important point around, you know, Vestergaard and, and Bertrand leaving. Defensively, we do we do look better, but yeah, it probably speaks to your your point on lack of goals. You know, and, and maybe it not immediately being clear who's going to be that creative creative force. I think whenever whenever all the time I've been covering. Southampton and, and also clubs of a similar sort of thing. I think when 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 they're in that period where they've got a really good goal scorer, you kind of know that they they might leave for whatever reason, or they've got some some that bit of creativity that just makes 
that is all often the difference between potential mm. and finishing 10th. And I feel like, unfortunately, unless someone, and you know, there are people within the squad that you hope will spark, but unless someone does, then I can't see how it's going to be anything other than a, a bit of a battle to, to stay up. But, and, and, you know, Ings is just, he just had that, I don't know, he could create things out of nothing. He didn't miss many chances though when he had a good chance. And it's just that, extra percentage and it's it you know and you can see Adams and Armstrong work really hard and all the rest of it and and maybe they'll spark but that, that you know and I, I, but I don't know how you do anything about that really because I think it'd be is it, it, it you, you can't just walk into a shop and buy sort of another rings in January so you just have to you just have to work well on the training ground with those those players and just hope that something happens that gets that gets one of them really, really going, and I, 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 you know, and I'm sort of, I feel like we might, there, there, and there'll be other clubs with a very similar, in a very similar position to, to us in in that step, in that sense as well. It's not, you know, it's not yeah. unique to, to us. It's it's hard to score. It's hard to, you know, there isn't many strikers that get more than ten goals in the Premier League season. It's not. It's it's difficult to do. Yeah, agreed. And I think irrespective of the the bump that Newcastle will undoubtedly get now, there is, I feel, three worse teams than us in, in the division, which uh, I'm relatively thankful for. And it seems like we'll probably um, yeah, maybe get away with one this year and, and hopefully strengthen mo- moving forward. This podcast is supported by Peabury Coffee, award-winning coffee based in Hampshire. Gerald and his team batch roast their coffee beans by hand and the host of this podcast is a big fan. Check them out today at peaberrycoffee.co.uk. That's absolutely right. Been buying Peaberry for around a year now and would never go back to anything else. The current beans on rotation are the Colombian kind, Finca El Mirador. And for listeners of the pod, we are going to be running some listener competitions where you can win a bag of beans a bag of Gerald's finest, shall we say. Um, but yeah, big shout out to Gerald and all the work he's doing, supplying coffee up and down the country now. So yeah, great to support a local business in, in Hampshire and stay tuned for more. Jeremy, a bit of a gear change actually away from Saints. And it's something I wanted to talk to you on because I don't feel like within the sort of broader football uh, yeah, social community or within football fandom, it's, it's spoken about enough and it's something you've covered in depth for some time now. But it is surrounding the the dementia crisis in football, um, and I think it's a, a big problem. I read somewhere that professional footballers are up to five times more likely um, to develop dementia throughout their lifetime. I think you've reported on the fact that five members of the 1966 World Cup winning squad have also yeah, diagnosed or, or indeed passed away through having dementia as well. Just to kind of, I'm, I'm conscious of time, but just to kind of start at the beginning, what has has led you into this being a real area of interest and an area of, of yeah, uh, specialization within your journalism yeah I, I mean it was um it i'd some stumbled on it to some degree but i did it's interesting because i did the book on southampton cult heroes yeah I, I won't sort of name names because sometimes not every family is sort of comfortable saying the sort of health but i look back now and there's quite a number of the players in that book in hindsight you know I look and and, and I, it didn't register with me at that at that point and um and unfortunately that the, the moment you start looking and you start thinking oh I wonder 
the Tottenham team of the 60s or the 70s. I wonder if the Liverpool. And sadly, the six squad is just completely representative of that era of footballer. You know, there is um, pretty obviously a much higher proportion of sort of people with dementia amongst um, footballers who are now in their 60s, 70s, 80s than you just would get in the normal population. Now, obviously, football's not the, and head impacts is not the only way you can get dementia, but it's, it's because um, a lot of people, and understandably, and I would have probably overlooked it a bit, will sort of say, oh, well, you know, it, you know, any, you know, they're old or whatever, like that, stuff like that. Yeah. And you start looking at it, it's pretty blindingly obvious there's a massive issue in football and the the reason I noticed it I went to a kind of reception for the 66 the 50th anniversary of the 66 squad and you know these were people in their late 70s early 80s and you thought oh and there's literally one or two that you could interview something like that you know it it was that stark and you kind of and then obviously I, I then sort of um got sort of interested looking at other people spoke to Dawn Astle whose father was Jeff Astle who died in his 50s was an England player who who actually had their brain examined and they found that there's a, there's a specific type of dementia called CTE which is common in American footballers and boxers as well and, and he had this type of dementia and unfortunately the more you look at it the more obvious it is amongst former footballers and it's and it's becoming evident as well in those sort of generation of players that played in the sort of 70s and 80s so it's not really the 50s and 60s it's just basically at the moment it just seems to be following up the age group so obviously we don't know whether that will continue with the sort of players that played in the 90s or the noughties and so on um but in the in the sort of lack of any evidence to say otherwise um, and the evidence at the moment is that it is continuing at that similar rate. The, the people that have sort of studied the, the, the thing, it's sort of between three and five times more prevalent amongst footballers. As far as they can see, it is continuing with that, with, with uh, as, to, as far as you can go up, basically. I mean, the really stark thing for me, obviously, I, in my job, I'm, you interview sort of people. And I did a, a, a thing of the... 1964 olympics because it was in tokyo with the same right same and you could you could interview loads of people who were in the 1964 olympics who had wonderful like memories really sharp memories they were mostly in their sort of 80s obviously some some of them had fallen by the wayside and had different health problems but there was a good number that you could interview hmm. same thing for 1966 world cup squad two years later when england reached the euros you can't you can you can interview jeff hurst and you know you can't. wow and i can't and there's, there's maybe one or two others from the squad that you could interview but i can't i, I was at, got thinking about it and i i don't think i can ever remember interviewing a footballer over the age of 85 maybe even 80 that sort of age and that sounds really stark and it's not it's not proper evidence but um, the proper evidence has been looked at and it was quite a lot higher, you know, for between three and five times. And then just the sort of before your eyes evidence. I'm afraid it's if football can't, you know, it's obvious there's a massive problem. Now, whether it's something that will has been mitigated through the generations, we don't know. But at the moment, it doesn't seem that it has been. So 
I just, you know, it's it's sort of my job to report it. It's not my job to have a massive opinion on what should happen. But it, it seems to me that it's fairly, uh, none of the people I speak to are saying, you know, we should ban football or anything like that. They're, they're, but, but there's sort of fairly obvious things that you could do, obviously reducing the amount of heading that's done in training. And maybe just the way that, you know, we've seen the back pass rule, the offside rule, the handball rule. I don't think it would be that hard to put, to bring in and at least explore how you could evolve football so that you just limited the, the, the type of the heaviest type of head impacts. But at the moment, basically, they're doing a bit around the edges and they know that they're going to face a legal challenge from some of these families at some point down the line. And it feels to me like they're doing, they're doing things so they can say they've done something rather than things that, right, this is going to really mm. have an impact. And I just think it's... I think actually football's got less of a worry on this in some respects than sort of rugby or sport like American football, where it's quite hard to see how you would change the game and preserve the game kind of as we know it, whilst whilst sort of protecting the players. It was quite difficult. Actually, I don't think with football, okay, you're not going to remove risk and, you know, you can't remove risk if you go outside the front door. I get that. But you could... But wouldn't it be great if rather than four, four or five times, it was kind of 1.5 times or, you know, you were, yeah. you were half the number of these footballers that are having this. You know? and, and I think you could do that quite quite easily whilst carrying on with football. So it, it's frustrating that that's not really happening. And, and there's also no real support for these players as well. So, you know, anyone who's had kind of people with dementia in their families, which, you know, lots and lots of people have will know, how difficult it is. And, and a lot of these players are getting it in their sort of 60s, 70s and football as an industry, you know, we've just had the Newcastle take over, you know, as an industry, there's no sort of fund to help them. So I think, so my, my thing really is just how could, how could we reduce the, the risk and how could we help the players? You know, and I think most people would think that's fairly reasonable and would want, would want to do that really. And, you know, because there is clearly a problem there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's being, yeah, spoken about a lot more, uh, Jeremy, and, and your work is is helping that, certainly. I actually saw that they tested out, I think it was in conjunction with a charity, Head for Change, but they tested out a, a game without heading or at least only heading in the box. I think, it, again, it's former professionals that came together to look at it. And I think you, you may know more about this than I do, but it was um, the wife of former Middlesbrough defender Bill Gates, Yes. Um, who who was supporting putting on this game? I think it was at Spending More Town, but Athletic again did a, a good piece on it. And something that I didn't realise was that we talk a lot about the weight of the footballs back then, but actually um, FIFA regulations stipulate a certain weight even now. And of course, the ball may have got heavier with rain back in those days, but actually, there's no difference in the velocity with which you head a football now, and that repetitive action that you get with heading a football. It's as you say, it's pretty stark and, and evident what, what what the issue is. And I think, yeah, it's it's very interesting to know that maybe that that sort of those facts aren't aren't very accessible. Yeah, the the, the um I mean the expert people that I have spoken to about it say that you know because the ball moves because the light that not lighter, the the plus the the um synthetic mm. ball now it moves moves faster. So they they actually think that the impacts could be could be as bad if not worse you know wow. um, because obviously the heavy people talk a lot about the heavy ball with the when it got wet but it was traveling really slowly when when it got wet yeah. 
I don't know the science of it, but what I do know is that there's no evidence that because a lot of people just assume, oh, it was a problem of that generation. Mm. And actually, I think the kind of examples usually are quite a good way of, although it's not very completely scientific, but if you sort of see the sort of Terry McDermott, Joe Kinnear, um, uh, Southampton had a player, Kevin Moore, who, 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 yeah. who died early and he had dementia and his family are convinced that it was uh, linked to he played in the premier league era in the 90s so yeah. the, the the what we're seeing sadly for for people who keep saying oh it's the old leather ball you know dave watson another saints center back he's he's got dementia you know unfortunately it doesn't it do, you know the reality is as much as we we wish it wasn't the case is that it doesn't seem to be um reducing as we go through the know go through the generations which is you know and the stories are pretty stark you know i don't i wouldn't sort of want to you know i I think people should be aware of it and i wouldn't want to you don't want to terrify everybody who's just playing recreationally or whatever because we don't know but they they should be researching that that you know it was pretty repetitive what they were doing and there was a you know huge amount of head impacts but um yeah it's just something that i think football clearly needs to address it it will have to address it sooner or later yeah you're like why you should do it now um rather than to wait yeah yeah indeed i think it was i can't remember if it was gavin or grant mccann who was talking about games they used to play in trainings where you would go in goal but couldn't use your hands and only your head for instance right and training is a situation where of course something like the banning of heading should be looked into but he's talking about an era not that long ago when you know there were games in air quotes for fun that would be played where it's specifically geared around trying to stop the ball with your head and it just seems yeah sort of yeah quite quite crazy knowing what we do know about the the risk now the only other point i'd make is i i'm i think it's just all about informing people as well i think i do you know i think with adults if there's if there is a proper choice and people understand it all but i think with football there's I don't think a lot of people are even aware of a lot of this stuff. And I think that's, I think that's where the football authorities have a duty to of care to kind of at least make people understand it all. But um, yeah. It's been great to have you on. Uh, very last question. Uh, 2000, you were the Hampshire men's table tennis <laughs> champion. That's, that's correct. Isn't it, Jeremy? Oh my God. I did, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> been given some, some inside information from a, from a source. Do you still play? No, I don't actually. I did. I made a comeback in a <laughs> comeback. Sounds like it's like <laughs> on the comeback trail, like a proper player or so. Like <laughs> no, I did. I, 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 this is really sad. I because I because I'd won the senior one. I thought, uh, and I'd won the junior one. I thought oh, it would be quite nice to. So I did come back for about a year and won the vet when I was over forty, and I did manage to win the veterans one. And oh. I'm not, not played since then but, um, so no you... only like a, only like on a sort of holiday or something like you know there's a, I, well on a... that on that point you know i don't know if i should bring this up and you might well want me to edit this out but uh but my brother matt uh claims to have beaten you on a stag do uh, <laughs> so i don't know if you want to kind of refute that claim or you accept it <laughs> yeah no he probably did i can't I, I i can make the excuse that i can't remember it very clearly so <laughs> i remember yeah. he was i remember he was quite because uh yeah yeah i've obviously known matt for, for many 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 years and yeah he was quite he was quite um 
he was the yeah he was the sort of we we had a few games on that tactic because he was the i think he was like the next best not not the maybe the best player but <laughs> no next best next with you guys yeah 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 what a sport though every time i'm around the table tennis table it does just bring back great memories and i'm always tempted to play i never well, i've seen them at training grounds and i've always thought oh i'd like to you know it might give me a bit of kudos to like play you know but i've never i think i just look like a you know an annoying old guy trying to like play the football <laughs> so I, yeah. I keep quiet but um you do yeah you, they, the football football clubs have always got table tennis tables at, at them as well i don't know if you saw the clip but there's a clip of um ralph playing oriel romeo going around because okay. uh ralph is very handy i think he played tennis semi-professionally but loves table tennis and um i think the clip is Romeo beating him um but it seems like there's a very intense game going on at least yeah. nice jeremy your brother your brother had drunk too much not me his memories his memories are... <laughs> we'll never know we'll never know perhaps there's a listener who is on that stag do who can uh who can verify this for us um Jeremy, if I can uh, again kind of finish on something cheeky, it'd be great to get you back on at some point. It's been, yeah, almost a shame to cut it short where we are now talking about Saints and beyond. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on. You're doing a hell of a good job when it comes to the dementia crisis and, and shining a light on that. So yeah, I think it's been just great to hear more about that and the work you're doing. Um, but yeah, thanks very much for, for joining us and, and maybe we'll speak soon. No, thank you. Thanks, Luke.